This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. Hey everyone, this is Chris Grasso with the Indie Spirituals Podcast on the MindPod Network. My guest today is Liam Wilson, who I'm exceptionally excited to have on. Liam is a world-renowned musician, a not-so-famous writer, rookie father, and avid psychonaut, most well-known for his long-term tenure playing bass with the Dillinger Escape Plan. His other interests include traveling, yoga, meditation, and most topics that fall under the umbrella of mindfulness. Liam lives in Philadelphia. Liam, thank you very much for joining yeah, me thank today. thank you. So you're obviously most well-known for your involvement in the incredible band, the Dillinger Escape Plan, someone I've been a fan of since the 90s and had the fortune of seeing numerous times. Always an incredible show. And we'll talk more about that later. What I wanted to start out with was something I'm sure you're known for, but definitely not as well-known for, which is your interest in yoga and meditation. Sure. So I thought that was great. I actually, I didn't know that for many, many years until recently that you had that interest. So I would love to start out if you could talk a little bit about what really sparked that for you in your life, you know, a book, teacher, whatever. Yeah. I I mean, there's, I, growing up, I felt like there was always, um, I mean, I grew up Roman Catholic, so uh, there was always kind of a religious over undertone to certain things. I had my, you know, mixed feelings about it. Yeah. But always kind of enjoyed the the uh the the self-awareness part of any religion, you know. Right. Um so I think it was a combination of like various things. I think it was uh, you know, my mom handing me like a uh Surf the Himalayas book. I don't know if anybody remembers that. It was, <laughs> I don't I don't even know where it came from. But it was a, it was a book about it com- uh combined snowboarding and meditation. Cool. Um so things like that uh, interest in like seances and kind of being, you know, raised on, um, you know, kind of early heavy metal. And there was always that kind of like darker oh, satanic yeah. vibe that, yeah. you know, being raised Roman Catholic, you're like, oh, okay, let's, you know, let's research that. Let's read some Aleister Crowley. Let's read the satanic Bible. Let's, you know, just yeah. to be, you know, a rebel or something. Yeah. Um, and then through those things, you know, you get into hardcore uh, you know, or I got into hardcore and then it was like Krishna, uh, different, you know, pamphlets at tables. I, I mean, and I'm, I'm skipping through different things. Right. Here. Right. Um, and then I also think that a, a combination of, you know, which may, we may or may not dive into, um, you know, I, I think that certain people living in the East, they have a meditation tradition. They have all this other stuff. For me, it was like psychedelics and mm. pot and music and, that was kind of my meditation or that was like, you know, I was never, I've, I guess I've always kind of been self-introspective and those things make you turbo self-introspective. So, um, and I think that much the same way, nobody goes like birding without like the Sibley's guide to birding. (laughs) Like I didn't necessarily want to get into those realms without like some understanding of what I was dealing with. So Then it turned into, you know, Food of the Gods by Terrence McKenna and all these other... So it it just explodes from there. So, um, and I think that through psychedelics, I've kind of... I'd end up meditating, you know, and not really realizing that that's what I was doing or something because you just kind of zone out for a couple hours. And you're like, wow, I feel like you come out of it. I feel great. And like, 
you know, most of the time. Other times you're like, I've, I've really endured something deep. But yeah. um, so anyway, so all of that, I think, is kind of the, the, the groundwork. And then, uh, you know, my discipline for playing bass uh, later, once playing in a band, touring, all that stuff starts taking a toll on me. I start being like, man, I really, uh, I want to be a flexible person. Not necessarily physically, but mentally to be able to juggle all these different kind of roles and kind of be like, okay, I go on the road and I'm Superman. I come home and I work at an office and I'm Clark Kent. Yeah. You know, I, I'm like a, kind of a nobody, you know, two thirds of the year, you know, and then I go play shows and it's like, oh, I'm supposed to be this, you know. And it's just all these different things pulling me into all these different directions. So I realized if I wanted to be mentally flexible, emotionally flexible, you know, and, and it really endure the touring lifestyle, which, you know, I think that a lot of younger musicians don't understand that it's not about being the best at playing. Yeah. You know, it's kind of about being able to put up with the road, be able to put up with other people, yeah. be able to put up with egos, be able to, you know, subjugate your own to be able to, you know, it's, I always say it's not the hour I'm on stage that I get paid for. It's the 23 it took me to get there. Wow. Well said. So all of that kind of led me into yoga and kind of a perfect storm of other things. I made some new friends in Philadelphia, one of which was a yoga instructor at a Bikram studio. You know, another friend of mine was dating a yoga instructor who was doing these like free Wednesday classes for like older women. And I would just drop in and just try it out. Um, and then, you know, through that, I, I, you know, Bikram for me especially was just like such a huge breakthrough because it was um, the closest thing I could find to being on the road or being on stage because it was like about an hour, you know, a little bit more yeah. hot, you know, kind of like, you know, on, the, on stage you're sweating your ass off. Oh, yeah. You're trying to do something physical while maintaining your like mental, you know, focus and at the same time kind of trying to let go. Yeah. You know, so it, to me, the Bikram world was very, you know, similar and it was kind of the best warm up that I could get for the road. So I got very, I, I don't want to say ab addicted, but obsessed with that being my, um, my off road, uh, maintenance. Yeah. I mean, and then I'd start going on the road. So anyway, that's kind of how I found yoga. It was mostly a, uh, a, a thing kind of like, well, I'm not. I don't go to yoga because I'm flexible. I go because I'm not. Right. You know, I think some people play sports because they're good at them. I go to yoga because I'm like lanky and, you know, my hamstrings are too short and my hips don't really work right and, you know, all this other stuff. So it was, it was all of that. So then the yoga thing, um, you know, once I just kind of drove that into the ground, you know, and I... I just came from a class, you know, I try to practice as often as possible. Yeah. Uh, then that kind of led to the meditation stuff because certain yoga classes you would have a meditation after class. Yeah. Um, and I started really connecting the like, oh, this whole, you know, you do these postures so that you can sit in meditation or really kind of getting deeper into, um, you know, kind of further away from the Western attitude of like, oh, I'm going to have a great six pack at the end of this. <laughs> right. It's like, no, I really want to, you know, I'm going for the six pack of the mind. Yeah. Here, you know? yeah. Um, so I think that all that stuff just kind of led to different things. Um, now, and the meditation thing kind of came up because, uh, you know, again, another thing I'd been interested in for years, kind of meditated off and on, but I think most people think they're doing it wrong, mm. you know, because it's so subtle. There's really nothing to it where you're mm. like, this can't possibly be. You know, like, how am I ever going to get results from doing nothing? You know, right. oh, yeah. so I think that that kind of always kept me um, like, oh, I've got to go to like a 10 day Vipassana thing. Like I got to dive in at the deep end or else it's never going to have an effect right. on me. I know myself, yada, yada, all the narrative I tell myself. Yeah. Um, and then I, uh, I we were on Warp Tour and my plan was to go to a 10 day Vipassana thing at the end of it because it was like. Now, if you don't aren't familiar, anybody not familiar, right. Vipassana is like a 10-day, totally silent meditation. Yeah. Um, and I was out on the road. I'm in, you know, hot weather, 200 bands, as many buses in a parking lot all day, idling buses, like just white noise and just bands and people and just, it was just, it's hellish, you know, yeah, and it really, yeah. it's like sound pollution. It just takes a toll on you. Um 
so my plan was, yeah, no, uh, the only thing I want right now is 10 days of total silence at the end of this. And then I'm going to Burning Man right after that. That was <laughs> bad. So, but I couldn't fit it all in. I couldn't get, uh, you know, from the last day of Warp Tour to this Vipassana thing and then to Burning Man. Right. Because I had a ticket for that. So I was talking to Matt Skiba from Alkaline Trio. Yeah. And, or Blink-182 right. these days. Yeah. Um, and we were just, you know, shooting the shit about all this stuff. He's, he's definitely uh, stepping, you know, smelling what we're stepping in, I guess. Right. And uh, so he started talking about his um, instructor, teacher, guru. You know, I, I'm not sure what she would ever call herself. But yeah. uh, it's this woman, Nancy Cook de Herrera. Okay. And she was uh, one of the women, pretty much the woman, who brought the Maharishi over for the first time. Okay. Yep. Um, she was at the ashram with the Beatles and the Maharishi. She was like, she's just this, you know, uh, just amazing character in the lineage of transcendental meditation. Yeah. So she, but at the same time, she's not necessarily part of the TM organization. Right. Uh, she taught David Lynch. She taught Howard Stern. She taught Donovan. She taught, you know, I mean, she is like Madonna, I believe. Like, she's the, like, TM instructor to the stars. The Hollywood, you know, but not, and, and very Hollywood, but at the same time, not at all. Cool. Um, and, you know, I should also mention she passed away to 2012, I believe. So, you know, rest her soul. Right. Um, right. Anyway, so I got her number, and her deal was I don't believe in spending 1200 bucks for the TM technique i think it's silly and the maharishi never would have wanted it that way and so she would just take like a 300 hundred dollar donation wow give give it to charity and then you would just kind of go visit her uh three times over five days yeah and bring a bring some fruit and some flowers for a puja yeah so went and did that had you know and left with that technique and kind of you know uh, not unlike your book and kind of the everything mind i think my meditation now is kind of evolved into a mix of TM, a mix of, you know, some other little things. I do do mantra stuff. Sometimes I don't. Right. Um, you know, I think anytime I kind of get up in my head about it, I just kind of throw away that kind of the, yeah. you know, if you see the Buddha in your path, slay the Buddha. Right. You know, right. any, any distraction from just doing it is, uh, that just a, you know, nothing more than a distraction. So, um, I try to keep up with it, you know, and it, like other things, it's it's a balancing act. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I'll get kind of um, <laughs> get into more scholastic ideas here. So balance, the word balance comes from the Latin word bilar, okay. which means to dance. And I always kind of thought that was an interesting thing. It's kind of like a tree, you know, it's like when the wind blows, it sways, but it always kind of comes back. It's always got its root. Yes. So I feel that way a lot with meditation. Sometimes when I'm on the road, I only meditate once a day, like before we play, because that's the only time I really get. Yeah. And sometimes I don't get to practice yoga for like, you know, uh, really practice, you know, stretch before a show, sure, but like really like dive into a practice. It might be four weeks before I really get that kind of attention. But, you know, I always just try to come back to it. Yeah. I feel like meditation is the same way as, as you, uh, as you, introduced me i'm rookie dad so yeah a lot of things are just kind of on pause and and to me rightfully so it's like uh, not that i don't think that meditation twice a day rigorously would probably make me you know a much more patient dad it's like (laughs) i'm not really an impatient dad to begin with and you know i'm trying to just make it work so if i get to meditate once a day right now that's cool yeah so i'm not trying to be too rigid and like got to be twice a day for 20 minutes and you got to sit like this and you can't have your dog in the room and you know yeah. i i do believe that there is an ideal way of doing things right um but i don't necessarily think it's the only way and it, there again i think that that's kind of what prevents people from doing it right it's this idealist this idea of the conditions have to be this way yes or else i'm not going to get anything out of it it's like no nah, that's you know, right. Not, I always tell people it's a much more fluid process yeah. than rigid, and that makes it so much easier to stick with. You know, yeah. It's it, you're not you never step in the same river. You know, twice. Ever. It's right. yeah. It's every day's different. You might be able to do it for 21 minutes today, and it's you know the idea is just kind of that you want to do it. 
you know, yeah. and that you do think that there's a benefit to it or, um, you know, and what that is like, I, I, I'm not, I'm not even, t- I know there is one, I feel it in sure. my, in my bones, but, uh, you know, and much deeper than that too, but I can't necessarily explain it. It's, yeah, you know, or I could just riff on it for four hours <laughs> right. and maybe never really, um, so yeah, I, I think that sort of sums up. It does. And, and I, I love everything you said and I love, you know, I've been doing interviews for quite a while now and this, this is a bit of a newer podcast, but I love that I can do this in a network with some of the great teachers like Ram Das and Jack Kornfield. Sure. I mean, yeah. you know, the, the teachers and then come in and bring people like you and, uh, and I've already had also uh, Miguel Chen, who's a bass player for this punk band, um, uh, Teenage Bottle Rocket, and they were on okay. Fat Records. Now they're okay. on Rise. Same deal. He's he's a newly uh, he's a, a yoga teacher. He just finished his okay. training, and he just did a great documentary about punk and yoga. And it was okay. it was yeah, so yeah. cool to see that. And then I had That's very cool. Yeah, and and he like he'll teach at shows like in, before or after for free. Just have right. people come out. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I, I uh, was. It, you know, I'm pretty sure this is true, but I'm pretty sure um, uh, Joe Lally from Fugazi yeah. is a yoga instructor, I believe. Oh, living cool. in, I think he lives in Rome and he's teaching yoga, or at one time was. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I believe uh, Ray from Shelter. He is, yeah. Um, I know one of my friends just went to India with him, and I, he teaches in Philly a lot, and it's kind of one of those bucket list things. Like, yeah. ah, I, I got to get, but I don't want to like fanboy out too hard. I know. I, but there again, like I do think that like shelter and, you know, another Philly band, Prima. Oh yeah. Um, you Love know, that. some of this yeah. stuff, like I was always really into that and kind of, I always liked that kind of angle. Yeah. And, um, and another band like cynic always had kind of Krishna conscious lyrics mm-hmm. and, I, I just I don't know what it was. I always kind of just responded to that stuff. Same so, here. Even you know. before I was into the spirituality, yeah. I remember seeing Prima. I had Kelly from 108 on the show recently, okay. and right on. Um, it was great to catch up with her. And she now, besides co-running Equal Vision with her husband Steve, they started right. a label called Montrology, and okay. it's all Kirtan music. And it's oh wow, yeah. It, and the cool thing is, all the money they take, they donate. So it's a not-for-profit. It's just helping cool. people. Yeah. So it's great to see, like you said, like all these great punk rock and hardcore people coming up and doing really cool things and yeah. making spirituality more accessible to a wider right. audience. Right. And out near you, I don't know if you've heard of this, but I think it's Pittsburgh. There's a yoga studio called Black Yoga and they do yoga set to drone. Like they'll do Sun O and Neurosis. Oh, you know what? Yeah. I've, I've heard of things like that. I don't yeah. know. Um, like a, a friend of mine, the same guy I was saying, my friend Dan Cordova, yeah. he, uh, he just opened a place in Philly. If anybody from Philly is listening, I think it's called Palo Palo Alto Boutique. I, I I'm gonna right. I'm gonna butcher it anyway. <laughs> uh, he's the one that went to India with with Ray. Yeah, and he does a Friday night like metal. Yeah, yoga and uh, yeah, it's it's great. You know, it's yeah, whatever gets you in the door. You know, sure. You know, and I mean, and sometimes I don't like music and yoga, but there again, sure. it's like, well, that's that's my that's my yoga today. Right. This is what I'm doing. Right. That's so, awesome. Yeah. So so taking all of this into consideration, like I loved when you were saying earlier, psychedelics were very spiritual and meditative sure. for yeah, you. Yeah. And it made me think I did, man, no shortage of psychedelics. Sure, and yeah. pop, but for I me, did all of them. Yeah. Right, at the time, though, uh, truth be told, I was not doing them in a spiritual or mindful context. Right. I was partying. But in retrospect, what I did see is some of my early meditative practices that I didn't recognize at the time was when... I would be driving to school, and this is years, years, years ago, yeah, yeah. but I'd be driving like an hour to school and listening to Neurosis or Isis yeah. and getting lost in that repetitive sure. drone. Yeah, just hypnotic. I mean, even with yeah. to some degree, exactly. to me, really has that like just yes. pounding Cyclic it out. You know? over yeah, and yeah. Over. Right. So like I say, taking all this into consideration, what would you say, and there, obviously there's no right or wrong answer right. to this, but in your experience so far to date... What what is spirituality? I know it's a very open, open broad question, but yeah, um, for you, let's say. Ah, man, that's a. I'm trying to think of like a poetic way of saying this. Sure. Um, if it helps when I answer, I just simply say "waking up," so it doesn't get any yeah, less poetic yeah. I mean, than that. So no, that's 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 a good one, and I have a tendency to kind of complicate it. Um, <laughs> but I, I think it 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 just kind of has to do with. Uh, Maybe something about like being comfortable with your own personal 
emptiness yeah. or like, yeah. or, or, and I, I do think that it's kind of, it, it's tied into, uh, you know, something about life and death, sure. you know, or, and, and just kind of your relationship with life and death and mm-hmm. the interconnectedness of the two. Yeah. Um, yeah. Something in there, I, but I, yeah, waking up is, I mean, waking up is something else to me. I think that there's a lot of people who are spiritual and, um, you know, and who kind of do it right and are, and moral and, you know, kind of the whole thing where it's like you don't really need the Ten Commandments right. to be a good person. It's right. nice to see them written down and be like, oh, yeah, that okay, that's yeah. that's a pretty concise way of doing it. But, like, I think in your heart of hearts you know. Right. Some yeah. of those things, you're like, hey, don't kill your brother, you know, yeah. like, please, you know, don't, you know, envy's not really a good thing, yeah. and, you know, all this stuff. So, uh, I think that the, the spirituality thing can can kind of also be uh, a dead end for certain people, sure. uh, or, or just for certain things, I think, and, and I'm trying to separate it from religion, because I know I'm kind of almost more talking about that, but... yeah. I think there is a, it's inextricably connected. Right. Uh, yeah. But I think that there's a difference between spirituality and waking up, for me personally. I think yeah. that you can be practicing and kind of never really have that, you know, I mean, because there's so many people who would claim spirituality who are just total assholes, <laughs> yes, you know, totally. are just like, are just like pure evil. Right. So, right. Um, I don't know. I, I it's 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 touchy, but I I agree. I yeah. just, I might take it divided a little bit more. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I I mean for me it was like there's a certain kind of I don't know. I and and again speaking for myself, it was mostly like a psychedelic realization where I felt like that waking upness. Yeah. Of like oh society's not really this or. Yeah. You know, it's almost everything I've been taught is not, you know, that progression through unlearning just right. to, you know, drop the, drop the Snapcase reference. Yeah, very uh, nice. Well played. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I was surprised I didn't see that one in your book, actually. I was like, oh. I think, well, my first book I did, because oh, Looking, Looking Glass Self was the first 12-inch yeah. I ever bought. So okay. I, do have, right, I do have love for Snapcase. Okay. Um, but, yeah, I kind of think there's a, you know, a waking up thing that I think is more of a... I hate this word, but enlightened or it, it I'm, I'm at a standstill because I know it's like, uh, it's a rabbit hole. It, it, well, and that's the thing. I know it, it's almost a trick question in a way, sure. because how do you define the indefinable? You know, it's Absolutely. one of those yeah. things like when people ask, you know, what is, uh, non-duality? Uh, I'll Try- tell you, your first step is find a human. Yeah. Very, <laughs> very good. Very good. But I, I like what you're saying. The two things that really stuck out to me was one about the life and death thing. It made me think yeah. of a Christian Amerti. Uh, there's yeah. a, a YouTube thing he's talking about where he talks about we suffer because we don't see or experience life and death as the same movement. We separate right. the two yeah, and it just I, causes. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that it was a matter of feeling that because I yeah. think you can be spiritual and read the Bible and believe it. Sure. Have faith in that being the case. And I think that might be... Um, I, I don't know. I don't want to put a label on that, but I understand. Yeah, it's it's the feeling it. Yeah, you know, for yourself to have like that out of body experience to like die in some kind of way and be like, oh, you know what? I am not afraid of that anymore. Yeah. I am like, and it's only going to make me drive that much harder. It's not because like I don't care about living anymore, right? You know, but yeah, I think that there is a, a lack of fear and a deep, a deeper understanding of it. Yes. Than, than just belief. Yeah. In kind of, uh, in, in, in whatever. Um, you said something and then I, I was going to say something else and now I don't remember my exact. Well, uh, then I will follow up Okay. with my, yeah. the other thing I liked um, was the Ten Commandments. Like you said, it's cool that they're there, but you know, what what came to mind for me is there was a, a meme I saw, not that I'm a meme junkie uh, yeah. or fan, but on Facebook, and sometimes there are really clever ones. Absolutely. And I saw one of Moses holding the two tablets, and on one side it said, be cool, the other side, and don't be an asshole. There you yeah. go, man. Yeah, there's, man your t- so, there's your commandment. Really? I mean, that's classic. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah. So we've talked a bit about psychedelics, and I would love to go a little deeper into sure. that because... 
so, like I already said, when I was taking them, it wasn't in a spiritual. Con- I mean, I right. did take them once in a spiritual context. And the odd thing was it was the one and only time out of over 100 times I had a bad trip. But that's it, interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. Um, okay. But prior to that, I was taking them, you know, watch like Oliver Stone movies or Tarantino films. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Go out into nature and look at a tree yeah. for hours. So yeah. I see the benefit like it yeah. very much helped expand my consciousness, but I never took them intentionally for spirituality but today as you've read in my book i'm in recovery i don't do them anymore but i am still an advocate for them i know i mean plenty of people that do them awesome i can't you can god bless go for it so Um, can you talk a bit about your experience yeah um you know in a similar way i i think that uh most people abuse most things Uh, uh and in the beginning I didn't really know that they were a spiritual tool. Right. You know, that by no means was my take on it either. I I mean, loosely, I think I was taking it more from the artistic point of view where I was a musician. I was a, you know, I I went to art school for craft and was really into illustration. I still try to draw. And so for me, it was like, I'm going to expand my, you know, creative well or what I don't. I don't even know what my reason yeah. was. You know, and I was like 14 or something. You know, I was like, I, I didn't have a reason for anything, you know. So I think trying it, you know, for the first time I was like, oh, okay. And then I think, you know, I would do them again. You know, my friends were kind of more party, you know, I kind of in the, the, the more the party scene. Yeah. Where it wasn't necessarily like clubbing or raves. It was more like we'd go drink in the woods. Right. And then that kind of turned into, no, we're going to go take shrooms in the woods or yeah. we're going to go take ass in the woods. So, you know, and I think there again, connecting to nature um, at a young age, you know, what got me into playing bass was uh, hiking parts of the Appalachian Trail. Cool. Uh, I've told that story a million times. That if we need to go there, we can. But maybe you can any- tell me afterwards because I yeah, actually yeah. I'll look it up. I haven't heard that. Okay. But so so anyway, that that the nature connection was always there. I was always really into the wisdom of nature, yeah. you know, the kind of the. The library of sorts. Absolutely. Um, so I think it was kind of a matter of uh, getting comfortable doing psychedelics in nature and by myself. And I'm not sure if that was like my friends just never showed up one day or I had a deliberate thing. I think one time I can remember like, oh, I'll just take like the, the dust at the bottom of this shroom <laughs> bag. And next thing you know, I'm like launched off uh, wow. by myself kind of. Uh. Yeah. Anyway, um, so I think all that stuff, though, it just kind of it connected me to something bigger, you know, and yeah. something other. I realized that there was some kind of, you know, or and realized being a personal take on it. But I had an innate sensibility that there was a higher force. Right. Sure. Um, or, you know, kind of like maybe like a magnetic field. There was yeah. some other level of supreme consciousness or yes. Grand architect, what, yeah, organizing yeah. intelligence. I love yeah. that. Um, you know, any of that stuff for me, I kind of felt it was like a palatable thing. Yeah. Um, and once I kind of realized that, I kind of had this security of like, oh, like I'm important. I'm also insignificant, but you know, there is yeah. a purpose to me, and uh, you know, I can't just be like a, a wasteoid. I need to, you know, do this stuff. So then the psychedelics kind of became like a personal thing where I started doing it by myself all the time yeah. and as a lot of people would say it's kind of like therapy you know if you you know done right i'm not saying oh that yeah i know you're very right not everybody as you said not everybody can handle it and not everybody has the kind of the toolbox right you know it was i i think through doing those things i kind of realized um yeah or i i should rewind it got to a point where it started to go deeper into that psychological realm and i was like Am I going to like dredge up something that I was not, that I've been repressing? Am mm-hmm. I like, was I like abused as a kid or, you know, what am I going to find when I get in there? Right. But once I realized that like, okay, I really don't, you know, like I'm cool. Yeah. Once I got to that base level, then it was like, okay, then I could kind of take off and really like, you know, open up. But I, I think the other thing that I think is interesting with psychedelics is, I kind of would get like false positives about stuff too, where uh. I'd kind of ask questions, feel secure in the answer and trust it because it felt so real like any other religious experience. Right. And because I just kind of always kind of leaned on drugs as being like the alternative, like kind of like my diet or something like, well, I don't want to eat that crap. I'm going to eat this organic thing over here. I always kind yeah. of felt like 
there was something pure about psychedelics, which I also don't think is true. Like, mm. I think there are, there are some kind of um, danger zones. There's some, like, trickery. Yeah, you know, sure. It, it's got a sense of humor, and it's got, <laughs> it's, it's got a personality, you yeah. know? And um, once I kind of realized that whatever that consciousness was wasn't just, like, purely benevolent, like it is, but it's not afraid to, like, take the piss out of you. Oh, yeah. You know, and kick your ass around a little bit. And mm. once I realized that, then it was like, oh, this other, this whole other kind of disappointing yet liberating feeling yeah. um, of kind of realizing that that's not all there is either. I think that, sure. you know, and again, back to this everything mind thing. Then I started going back to, um, you know, different faiths, different, you know, other things, meditation, yeah. other drugs. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, like, right. you know, or kind of making it more like, um, you know, I would take acid and shrooms and kind of have it be as ceremonial as I could make it. Right. But it's nothing compared to going to like a legit ayahuasca ceremony, sure. which I've had the privilege of going to. And those, again, amazing life-changing experiences. And I right. think having the guided, um, you know, tutelage of somebody who's really, you know, educated mm. and, uh, you know, initiated. I, I mean, so many yeah different things. I think that was a uh, a, another realization of like, oh, okay, I can't do this alone. Yeah. Like I need, I need a mentor. Um, and I, you know, I sort of need a, a guide in that realm because I've kind of gone as far as I can go alone yeah. without it getting kind of scary. Kind of, you know, Carlos Castaneda books or something like, right. I need the Don Juan, uh, because yes. it's starting to get weird out here. I'm starting to get really out and encountering things and that I'm not really, uh, equipped for right so i mean i'm kind of in a a slower role with that you know world and again being a dad it's like there's no time to yeah true tune in and drop out for 12 hours right. it's like it doesn't exist so right. that, i'm tripping on that right now there that, you go that is my you know it's oh. the most psychedelic experience i've had <laughs> yet so well thank you for sharing all of that yeah. and and one thing i want to say for listeners is that i do believe there is even a healing aspect that can um, lend itself to those in recovery. There right. have been tremendous studies around ayahuasca, DMT. You didn't know, that, um, didn't uh, Bill Wilson, he was a huge advocate for... I actually um, didn't know that. Yeah, he is... Um, back in the day, he did a lot of research and took a lot of acid, yep. believing that that could help alcoholics. Yeah. Well, and so, and I I do believe, like you said, done yeah. under the right context. There, Absolutely. there's a great doctor. I, I not yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say a guy named Gabor Mate, who okay. talks at length about ayahuasca and how powerful it can be. And I I can tell you that I have a group of close friends who do it on a regular basis under the guide of a shaman. Right. And I watched one individual who I know had a, a heavy heroin problem. Right. Over the course of a year. Actually, immediately yeah. after the first one, but oh my God, a brand new person, the life that came back into him, it was, you could feel it. It was like, you yeah. felt high yourself being around him. No, absolutely. I know so, what you mean. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, again, I think it's, it's all about responsibility. I think, you know, what you were saying in your book was something uh, that I was so happy to see somebody address, which is like, you know, these mantras are great, but not if they're a distraction. Yeah, you know, and right. like you know, and just kind of all the pitfalls that you can get into, and kind of tricking yourself that you're actually doing something, right? And right. you're really only hurting or protracting this, you know, this this pain or whatever it is yes. that you're dealing with. Yeah. Um, I thought it was really interesting. Uh, I don't know if you caught it. There was a study done about like what the root of most addictions actually is, and it's basically just like people are bored. Yes, I, I've, I've like, read. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, duh, you know, or just kind of that. Um, you know, and this is kind of a, I think Louis CK has a joke about, uh, his kids not watching television and he's like, Oh, you're surprised when like, they aren't interested by like, Oh my God, there's this hawk and it's got a rat in its claws and it just yeah. ate a snake. And like, and all you want to do is watch TV because it's just like colors screaming at you, you yeah. know, and all this stuff and how like everything is just kind of bland right? because you're, you know, you just kind of overstimulated yourself by all this other stuff. Um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Well, so thank you. And, and yeah. let's, let's talk a bit about, cause, cause you, you were chatting about parenting and that is the most yeah. psychedelic experience. Sure. You're, you're like I said uh, earlier, you're a, you're a new father and relatively new father. Yeah. Six months, six months. So 
I would love to hear about six months of learning to be a dad, how that's affected your life, whatever uh, you'd like to share. About yeah. That. I mean, it's, uh, you know, early on, I think my biggest, uh, feelings were, um, a really deeper, you know, a much deeper connection to my family. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I have great relationships with everybody in my family, luckily. Yeah. Uh, and, but it really kind of deepened it and just kind of brought it all closer. And it also brought, uh, the people that I consider my family who aren't blood, you know, the people I call my brother and blah, blah, blah. Right. It's watching them really, you know, certain people more than others too, especially the ones who have kids already really like becoming that village, Yeah. you know, and feeling like people are wait, you know, granted they only want to come and see her, but they're like, <laughs> you know, they do come. And right. they and and you know just it was just a great time to feel that village vibe. I mean, we had people just like dropping food off on our doorstep, not mm -hmm. knocking, you know, just sending a text a couple minutes later, like, "Hey, just left you something." Wow! And it's just like, man, this is this is great, you know. And 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 just kind of seeing different friends, you know, guys in my band holding my baby. It was like, you know, because it's kind of the band's first baby too. So yeah. in a way, it's kind of like this is all yours as well. Like I may be the you know, the biology here, I may be the DNA, but like we, you're all uncles here. You are all, you know, kind of responsible for this with me Yeah, in a sense. So I felt that, you know, powerful family connection. I felt, uh, you know, I look at her and I'm like, oh my God, she's got my eye color, but she's got my wife's eye shape. And, but maybe my eye color is actually like my grandmother's, but maybe her eye color is actually like my great, great, great grandmother. Right. So kind of thinking about that, you know, and I'd never know. I mean, there's a certain distance back that I'll never have a photo. Right. Um, but just thinking about that and being like, wow, you are the, the cumulative effort of generations of DNA blend, blending and splicing. And, um, you know, so that's kind of the trippiest part of it and kind right. of watching her grow up and see which traits, like, is she going to have my nose or your mouth or, um, so all that has been a big, you know, head spin. Uh, the That's other great. thing is uh, the connection to sort of society and humanity and like just biology in general and kind of being that, you know, back and forth between that. I feel so unique and significant because I can look and see my genetics right in front of me. Yeah. At the same time, I feel completely insignificant because now I just feel like some cell that's just divided. Yeah. I'm sure I could telescope myself out far enough where it just <laughs> looks like a petri dish of nothing right. and to kind of be like man you know to get over this um i don't know, in some way it's kind of humbled my humanness yeah you know i realized like i'm not just this like supreme amazing being like i'm also just like a kind of biological i don't want to say mistake but like right byproduct you know of, yeah. of years and years of you know random interactions and and uh you know combustions and it's a, it's so, a great amazing yeah. mind-blowing thing yes uh you know and and i guess again to reduce it all back down i look at my parents and i have so much more respect for them uh and other parents in general but at the same time the humorous you know the, the comedian in me looks at it all and, is all and i can't help but saying anybody who was like the first child unless you had like maybe three kids yeah. i don't think your parents had any idea you know and it's kids i mean siblings like i don't think your parents had any idea what they were doing i don't think anybody's parents <laughs> had any idea what they were doing um, at least not for a little while. And I think that that's kind of the beauty of it. You know, I look at my mom and I, I see her try to interact with my, my daughter in some ways. And it's just kind of like oblivious again, because it's been 35 years since she had to do any of it. Yeah. Um, and just kind of like, I can only imagine if I haven't picked up something for 35 years, like, I don't know what I would do with that, you know? Yeah. So I think that's kind of funny and humbling and, and, uh, kind of homogenizing in a way. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay. You know, we're not perfect and that's cool. That's I'm not so here to cool. be perfect. You right, know? right. Well, I love that, man. And it makes me think quite a bit about the Zen teacher, Thich Nhat Hanh. Yeah. And he talks quite a bit about seeing your parents in your own hands and or even going back further, your yeah. great grandparents. Like, like you said, it's, it's yeah, just... Yeah, you were talking about the um, looking at that chair and then kind of, you know, reducing it was a Tonkin practice. Is that what it was? Or um, uh, I don't know if that's what it was. Um it, it, well, there's an interbeing, um, or uh, but just kind of the idea of meditating on an object and being like that table. Yes. that was once a tree, and before it was a oh, tree, right. that was 
and kind of looking at my kid in the same way and yeah, being like, wow, yeah. like, you know, reducing her down to like cells and all this stuff, but also like, who are you, you know, right. what are you? Isn't um, that great? Yeah. It's cool. Uh, and then also watching it, um, get into the, uh, I, I don't know if you're familiar with Rupert Sheldrake. I know the name. Why am I drawing a blank on? He's, uh, kind of like he, him and Graham, Graham Hancock are the only two guys that have had their Ted talks pulled. Okay. Well, that's, I'll, I'll which, have to look which that to up. me makes it like, okay, well then they're the two best Ted talks up there. Absolutely. Know? Yeah. So Rupert Sheldrake's attitude or, or idea is that, um, it's uh, morphic resonance. And it's basically that, like, the more people do something in society, the more that it'll play out. Kind of like the idea of two different people working on the Manhattan Project. Sure, yeah. You know, kind of like, but before that, it never existed. And somehow in the ether, that information is being dispersed. Right. Uh, and kind of the idea of, you know, a spider doesn't necessarily have the program to make a web. It kind of downloads it as it goes. Right. And, you know, that's kind of like saying that you drop a pile of bricks off at a construction site. They don't know how to build themselves. Yeah. It needs something to act on it, you know, in a, in a sense. So right. I'm not I'm not sure if I 100% believe it. It's not necessarily proven, but I find it very fascinating. And there's a, you know, a, it smells right to me. Yeah. You know, it's just yeah. got that like, the, yeah, that just sound that makes sense in some, you know, yeah. or at least that's not any crazier than you know, any of this other stuff that I'm supposed to believe about quantum physics, you know, right. it's, you know, so, um, but the idea of like looking at my kid and being like, okay, there's this nature and then this nurture and kind of wondering about that, like third dimension of it. Like, sure. it, are there just going to be things that she just absorbs out of the ether and just watching that and kind of, in a sense, watching myself go into the future? Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't know. It's it, Oh, that's you, way you know, cool. I mean, most people, I, I, I'm not most people, any parent who's listening to this kind of, I'm sure, has had something akin to that feeling. Yes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, this is, you know, watching it go. I don't know. Yeah. And the funny thing, my brother is a, well, he, he has his first born daughter who's just turned two. So still okay. relatively new. Yeah, but yeah. He said very similar things to that. And this is a person who he doesn't, I mean, he has slight interest in spirituality and physics sure. but he's not hardcore into it but he has almost verbatim just yeah. explained the experience just as you did you know because different... i think i i think that it's it's that it's an experience yeah and to put it into like a spiritual box or a physics box it's like no it's it's so universal yeah and yes it does kind of overlap into all those things like a venn diagram but it's not i think it's just something that anybody can feel unless you're deliberately numbing yourself yeah you know, or just kind of in a in a bad place anyway, and you're not feeling much of anything. Yeah. But yeah. I think that any you know um, happy parent kind of just gets that sensibility, or at least you know relapses into it when they're drunk enough or something. Right. You know, I don't. I don't yeah. know. Um, <laughs> uh, so um, there was something else I was going to say. Uh, I think you. I don't know if it was um, Thich Nhat Han or not, but it was. Uh, or just a, a typical Buddhist quote about uh, if we understood anything, we would laugh at a laugh at a death and cry at a birth. Oh, when we were talking yeah. about what is spirituality. I, I meant to interject that into the idea of being comfortable with life and death. Yeah, and That's there was great. something about that too that I meant to say way back then. Yeah, so. well, it's better late than never. Yeah, yeah. So. We have you can, you can edit that in, right? I mean, yes, <laughs> yes. I I yeah. definitely don't have a busy schedule. Studio so. magic, right? Right. So, one thing I definitely need to cover before. I mean, we still have time, so we'll get sure. into a few things hopefully. But as we mentioned, Dillinger escape plan. Um, Got to bring that up be, more just selfishly than anything. Yeah. Sure. I've been a huge fan. I mean, to the point where in my first book, Indie Spiritualist, I named a chapter "Calculating Infinity." That record. It's one of those albums for me, man. Like I'm listening to Converge, Cave, and all great bands, but then that comes out and it's like, yeah, whoa, what the fuck is this? Like, wait yeah, a minute. For sure. uh, I mean, to me too, it was, you know, I, I'm not the original dude. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, so I remember going to see them and just being like, you know, that shot heard around the world kind yeah. of thing. Like, what the? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> needless to say, yeah, I. I so I, you get it. <laughs> I'm holding on to the reins too. I mean, we're. <laughs> We're a unique band in that 
pretty much everybody except Ben has been a fan of the band, or at least has been in the audience of the band yeah. at least once. So yeah. we have a, we all have our own personal ideas of what the band means yeah. and represents. And I think we're all trying to, um, you know, toe that line to some degree. Yeah. Um, you know, I think Ben did get to watch us once because he broke his wrist and couldn't play. Oh, okay. But, you know, and otherwise it's kind of, you know, um, it's, it's interesting being able to join a band and have that fan perspective, yes. you know, and, and be able to kind of, like I said, hold it to that value as right. best we possibly can. Right. Um, because yeah, I mean, for me too, it was like, that was the, uh, you know, at the time, a real, um, an intersection of all the things that I really liked. Yeah. You know, yeah. at the time, it was kind of jazzy. It was metal. It was punk. It was hardcore. It was, um, you know, it was really snotty and punk. Yeah. And at the same time, they all kind of looked like preppy, you know, <laughs> back at least back then, like these back short then, right. hair, like, you know, banking interns or something. Yes. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't know. It was a, it was a real you know, eye-opening thing. And then, you know, of course, the the strange uh, twist of fate that, you know, <laughs> put me where I am. Yeah. I don't know. Well, so let me just tell listeners who, I'm sure there are some who aren't familiar with Dillinger. I just want to name a couple of the highlights of what you guys have done, just so they have some scale of reference. Because uh, you, know, you might want to put your children away. You know no, this. <laughs> <laughs> no way, dude. This this is just a couple of of highlights that that I had to write them down so I didn't miss a, you know some of them. But recently, I mean, you guys got to open for Nine Inch Nails and in Soundgarden. Incredible. You covered. The Public Enemy song, one of my favorites, Fight the Power, with Chuck D. You had Mike Patton fill in on an EP. And for those who don't like know Mike Patton, yeah. stop listening to my show. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, you know, Singer of Faith No More, Mr. Bungle, Phantomas. And, yeah. and then... Uh, what else? Oh. An all-around great dude. Awesome. Yes. Very cool dude. And then even recently, I saw you post that picture with... Um, Bushwick Bill. Oh, geez. and and yeah, you yeah. mentioned that you guys did something with ODB at some yeah, point. At like, one point, we, we when ODB, uh, I guess it, it's kind of first got out of jail, but also, I think the last time he got out of jail, uh, he did a show at CMJ, yeah. and we opened it, and it was like the most. Somebody else, I, I was telling the story, or we were talking about this story, like in the van kind of thing, and somebody else mentioned who opened that show. Who I can't remember, but it's like, it just puts, you know, it, it was like somebody Dillinger ODB and it may have well have been like Sinead O'Connor, yeah. Dillinger Escape Plan ODB, like just <laughs> something just as equally scattershot. Yeah. Um, like they pick the names out of the hat kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was weird. It was terrible. I oh, will really? say like ODB <laughs> was, was, you know, rest in peace, but man, right. that was a, that was a terrible, embarrassing <laughs> Like, dude was definitely out of it. Definitely, uh, you know, it was, yeah, drinking a little too, you know, taking a little bit too much spirituality that day. Uh, right, you know, right. part, I don't know. <laughs> just, it was just, it was, it was embarrassing, actually. Sure. Was, I felt oh. really, I don't know. Oh, well. So, <laughs> anyway, okay. but Let, it was a great story. and That is a great story. So, okay, if we set that aside, yeah. what for you in all of your years, what are... How do I even phrase this, man? I because I, I couldn't begin to imagine how to answer it in your shoes. But what what are some of the highlights? And it doesn't have to be specific yeah. highlights. But I mean, uh, for yeah. you, what what yeah. has been a a great thing about Dillinger in your life? Well, um, you know, again, talking about that family thing. Yeah, you know, like I got you know four brothers yeah. and you know multiple people who aren't in the band anymore who are still in the you know the unit. Right. Um. You know, it feels amazing to have had, uh, you know, and again, not necessarily because it's been fun every time and not, sure. you know, it's like I would take a bullet for these guys as fast as I would put one in them. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's that duality constantly, yeah, right. you know, you're in a one bedroom rolling apartment with 10 dirty dudes who are all pretty alpha and, you know, it's not always fun, you know, yeah. and, and yes, the bus glamour gets old after a day and yeah. all, you know. I could sour grape this thing for, you know, forever. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's been amazing just kind of having this crazy relationship that you don't usually have with your coworkers or your family. It's yeah. a really unique thing. And, and to think that I've kind of been, 
you know, married to Greg and Ben for like the better part of like 13 to 15 years is yeah. pretty wild. Um, so, I mean, there, there's, uh, you know, all of that kind of underlying uh, stuff there, the emotional side of it. But in terms of like, you know, things, I mean, getting in the band, you know, is, yeah. is crazy. And uh, it's kind of a head trip because I feel like some of my greatest fortune is because of Adam's incredible misfortune. For people who don't know, original bass player Dillinger got in a car accident, is paralyzed from the armpits down. Uh, still, you know, when I mention people who are still in the crew, I mean, he's, he's who I'm thinking of primarily, actually. Yeah. And uh, amazing sense of humor in terms of, like, a, a spiritual guide. I mean, I look at that dude sometimes as, like, you know, somebody to look up to in terms of yes. how he's handling it. He actually went to Nancy as well. So did Ben. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, uh, you know, putting that stuff aside, I granted playing with Mike Patton, I was 20 when I met that guy, he yeah. was, you know, a huge hero. And for him to be really humble, it was like, Hey, what's up, Mr. Patton. And very quickly, it was like, just call me Mike. And, ah, and yeah. you know, learning how to be, you know, not necessarily be a celebrity, but learning how to, kind of cope with attention you know and and all and 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 compliments and all all that stuff just how to navigate that i mean in in a few short days he taught me a lot yeah Um, uh all the traveling i mean all the bands i've seen all the people we've played with all the people i've met you know having bands like metallica you know dude having having like rob in my cell phone or (laughs) you know seeing kurt talk about um you know, farewell Mona Lisa. It's like, yeah. you know, or, or Lars say that we were, you know, one of the bands that he thinks is carrying the torch when they got into the Hall of Fame. It was like, you know, what? You know, this is not my beautiful life. This is, you know, right. how did I get here? Kind right. of thing. Um, and for those know, who I, don't know, Kirk, you mentioned, Kirk he just, Hammett, yeah, yeah, he said Metallica. of Metallica, sent a tweet out recently. Yeah. You know, just shouting you guys out in your song. Like, yeah. Anyways, I didn't mean to cut you off, but just yeah, so no. listeners knew, give some context. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. That's. I mean, it might, the the twelve year old self in me is like losing it. It's yeah. it's really cool. Yeah. And those are the things. Um. You know, you talk about things that make a difference. It's like I think about all the shows, but you know, I can't not be human in it. You know that I, I met my wife on Warp Tour. That's. Cool. You know, I didn't want to go on Warp Tour that year. I was like thirty. Like, what the hell am I going on Warp Tour for? <laughs> Um, but you know, those random things you're like, God, this would have never, you know, what a weird, strange trip. Um, the, uh, you know, having my mom and, you know, come to Conan when we played Conan, having my dad and, you know, my siblings in the crowd and, uh, you know, and then my grandmother staying up like in her, you know, whatever home she was living in at the time, like to watch me on Conan, like, And these are people who've kind of given me mixed reactions for what I'm doing. You know, I, I, uh, I dropped out of school to do Dillinger. Yeah. Um, my mom was not necessarily happy about yeah, that. You know, yeah. and it took years of tough love to like build that relationship back up. So seeing my mom kind of tear up before we went out and did that, it was like, I'm not saying that Conan, like to me, wasn't even that, you know, I don't even, I don't watch Conan. Like, and I'm not saying that it sucks. It's just, yeah. I, it's just not me. Yeah. Um, and, but seeing everybody else's reaction to that, yeah, um, I, you know, filmed it in New York. Came home that day, uh, or came home that night. Like we were done filming by like six or seven. Yeah. So I was able to get back to Philly from New York and go to a, a bar where all my friends were hanging out, and they turned it on when it was on, and they staged, you know, or I'm sorry, like crowd surfed me <laughs> through this bar. And like, I mean, those are the things that like, it sounds stupid. Like I could talk about different shows. Like I remember Fuji rock. We played Pantera's last show in Japan. I remember this and like, yeah, but like it's those other more like personal moments. Yeah. You know, it's so corny, but like, you know, feeling that love was was really important. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I could, I wish I was more in the mood to give you like, you know, rock star stories or something, but it's like, no, that's what you gave me is actually perfect, man. That's more yeah. what I was, cause that, that's what it is. It's more about the family, the emotion, the connection. The, yeah, you because know, I mean, beautiful. really, cause that's what you're putting into the music too. Right. You right. know what I mean? It's a feedback loop. If you're just practicing in your basement all day, your music is going to be bland. Yeah. I guarantee it. Like I'm not the kind of person who thinks you should practice for eight hours a day and not go out and like make a mistake or like, I don't know, like go do something stupid Yes. and then come home and write a song about it or like, you know, and, or just write a song in that mood. Yeah. 
You know, I don't know. Just like play with your life hack yourself a little bit. Yeah. Because I think it's kind of the artist's role to go somewhere uncomfortable or go somewhere that most people wouldn't go or don't have time to go. Like, again, like as a dad, most of my fans who are dads probably don't have time to do a bunch of drugs and go, you know. Yeah. So they would rather just listen to music that reminds them of the time where they could enjoy that or something, you know. Right. I don't and not necessarily that, but whatever it might be. Sure. you know, it's almost like a fantasy and, and there's this vicariousness um, to it. You know, I I like, you know, I like trying to imagine that we're all one. Yeah. You know, and that anything I'm doing up there in some weird way, you know, I'm just playing out you too. And, and hopefully when I get really, you know, free, when I'm not thinking about it, I'm just kind of a witness to myself on stage. Right, right. Then it's like I'm really no different than anybody else. And in a sense, it puts me you know, aligns me with them. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Well, that's a, that's a perfect segue. I mean, the last thing I'll, I will talk about, um, uh, that I wanted to cover with you is music and spirituality. Sure. And yeah, that's yeah. a perfect start right there okay. to it. And I mean, you're a magnificent bass player and, and I, I've seen the videos and oh, you can you. tell it. Well, <laughs> yeah, dude, it's the least I could say. <laughs> that's right. Um, smoking mirrors, lots of it. Yeah. Well, you're preaching to the choir about that. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I, I see like how much, how passionate you are about it. So to close us out, if you could talk a bit about music in your life and how it relates spiritually and, and your experience with that. Uh, well, um, ah, man, there's so many, so many ways we could start. Of course. There, but, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, I don't know, man. I, I, it's just so, I mean, music is just such a, it's, I mean, it's permeated into everything. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm trying to think of things in my life that don't have some musical connection, like, you know, church. Yeah. There was singing or, you know, what, I don't know. I mean, it could, it could go on forever, but I think one, it's just kind of, um, you know, for me, it's about dedicating myself to one thing. It's kind of like, that's my, um, my vow of chastity or something is like, you know, it's just me in this base, you know, at the end of the day. And yes, I love my wife. I love my daughter, but you know, this is something I, I kind of chose for myself and, and wasn't, you know, so I have like a different relationship with this thing. Yeah. Um, in a sense, that's my guru because yeah. it's, it's, you know, I think second only, you know, I, or it's hard to really put into place which one teaches me more, my wife or my base, but sure, both of them reflect me back to me pretty clearly. Yeah. You know, and, you know, if I can't do something on my base, it's because I'm not trying hard enough or I'm overthinking it or, you know, it's an amazing thing to see myself play out myself. I I don't know, you know, all my all my hiccups and weirdness and it's like it it shows up on the base. It shows up on my yoga mat, too. Um, Yeah. You know, all my quirks and that how I work through things. It's anyway. Um, So, yeah, I, I. you know, I guess the big thing is, you know, getting to that place of, you know, witnessing myself. And I, I don't necessarily think you get there without some work. Right. Um, you know, and in yoga, it's like it's not about the poses. Yes, it's, a, it's just about breathing. I mean, ideally, that's not to say that when you have great yoga practice, you're not going to feel a great yoga practice, you know, right. probably because you worked really hard on it. Even if you're flexible, you worked really hard on it. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying that, you know, like a Kobe Bryant or a Michael Jordan, it's like they had natural talent, but they worked hard on that natural talent. They didn't just let it go and just become who they were. Right. Uh, So I think for me, you know, that that process and practice of music is is my, you know, is another spiritual quest. It's a it's a vision quest of sorts. Yeah. Um, And my kind of, uh, you know, Joseph Campbell hero quest is kind of just playing out that's my sword yeah um you know so in a sense that you know that's my weapon that's how i'm like killing the death star and you know any other allegorical (laughs) you know myth this is how i'm writing my myth i choose to do it through music um and you know and, and that's kind of my personal take on it but also knowing that uh you know at one time you know when you think about like anything from you know, slaves kind of using that, you know, using drumming to communicate, you know, and then kind of having their drums taken away, Mm. you know, any kind of drumming, shamanism, all all that stuff. It's so like, 
there's such a core thing about, you know, again, like an ayahuasca ceremony to me would be hardly anything without the music. It's such a powerful tool to, you know, kind of take you somewhere else. Um, I mean, it's, it's a boat unlike any other. Uh, so I think that, um, you know, and not to mention all the other stuff about overtones, uh, you know, when you hear an acoustic instrument, when you're like in the room, like say, if you're at a dead can dance show, like you're going to feel it a lot more than if you listen to a live dead can dance CD on the best stereo. It's just like, it's not the same. Um, I think that there's a huge value in feeling, you know, those molecules hit you in a real way. Um, you know, I, I, I think there's mojo in things. I think there's mojo in instruments and stuff like that too. I, Greg and I joke around about like, he has this old Metallica shirt and it's like, you know, chances are that somebody was wearing this Metallica shirt at like an injustice for all show in like 1990 and you found it in some vintage place and like, it just has those, you know, that mojo molecule yeah. stuck in the fibers. And, like, that's, that means something. So uh, in a similar way, overtones, like, I think most people just, like, squash all that stuff. And granted, I still put out music on CDs, and I, I still listen to, you know, Spotify at terrible bit rates. Yeah, but yeah. Um, it's not that I don't feel that thing with music, too. Um, you know, and very recently, uh, I, I went to a sound meditation, um, and it really moved me. It was really like, uh, A, because I got the instruction with it about kind of how to climb the overtones like a ladder. Yeah. Like to, to really have some ear training and be able to hear the, the, the spread of overtones in a note. You know, when you hear C, you don't just hear C. You hear uh, an overtone series in there. Yeah. And, and, and especially, you know, again, on psychedelics, like, I'm sorry, but when I'm sober, I don't hear it. Yeah, sure. And that's, I'm not saying that's better or worse. You know, right. same with meditation. It's like, I don't get to the same place on psychedelics. I don't think that there's a replacement. I don't think that, like, at least me personally, I've never meditated and gotten to the same place I do on psychedelics. Hmm. Um, both are amazing. Yep. Both are totally useful spaces. But certain things like hearing music in that way is exponentially easier and yeah feels different when there's a, uh, a a psychoactive substance, whether it's acid, MDMA, pot, right. shrooms, you know. Yeah. Um, so for me, again, feeling, you know, having that connection to psychedelics and listening to tons of music and really getting in there, yeah. you know, and, and being like, wow, this is like, this is a landscape, you know. Um, I, I really, that kind of, again, drove my... Uh, you know, that was my driving force. Like I need to make something that makes people have this experience, you know, mm. or like I want to make another record that just sounds amazing in headphones on drugs. Yeah. I'm not sure that, and I, and that's not necessarily my only goal. I'm just, <laughs> um, but that, that's a byproduct. And I, and it's funny because Dillinger for the most part is like not necessarily that, um, vehicle. Right. It, I mean, not to say it probably doesn't sound amazing. I don't, I don't, <laughs> To be honest, I can't really listen to my own stuff sober, let alone high. So, <laughs> um, so I don't. I'm not 100 percent sure. But yeah, I mean, there. I just think that there is this oft overlooked purpose of music. Yeah. Um, this, you know, this spiritual thing, this this shamanistic thing, this meditative thing. Nowadays, people are just like, I just want to dance, you know, or like, and that's cool too. I mean, of course, there there is something to it, but. Um, I guess in a sense, part of it is like trying to fight the good fight to not lose all of that magic. Yeah, well said. You know, yeah. I, I do find it interesting as a as an artist trying to make a living playing music, I have a very, um, I, I feel like I'm in a tough position because in some ways I think music should be free because I think that maybe then people would start making it for the right reason again. Yeah. You know, or something, yeah. you, take, you take that money side of it out and maybe it would kind of return some of the magic. Maybe it wouldn't. I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, being in music, trying to make a living, I don't necessarily want to tell people that, you know, it's not worth something. Yes. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, this is this is a question that we could riff And I'm kind of stopping myself because it's yeah. like, ah, that's just an hour. I know. We could do a whole show yeah. on that, right? Well, um, the good news is there's still a ton of stuff I wanted to talk to you about that we sure. don't have time for. So that just means... 
we have yeah. an excuse to get back together again another time. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, there's another, there's one book that I, I often recommend. Uh, uh-huh. It's called um, The World is Sound. Oh, okay. So, uh, it's this guy, Joaquin Ernst, and uh, he was like a New York Times jazz writer. And he wrote this book where it's like the first part of the book is talking about um, almost like the music of the spheres and the, you know, how we got to where we are in terms of music and like timbre and scales and how they are, why these scales are these scales and how the human ear hears things the way it does. Yeah. Um, you know, talking about, you know, perfect pitch and how like even a field resonates in a tone. Yeah. Like an open field has a sound. It might be inaudible, but you know, it exists and it, it, it's, it's, it's there. Things are breathing. It's making noise. Right. Um, and then it also talks about how guys like John McLaughlin, John Coltrane, Ravi Shankar, how these guys brought the music of the East West and mm-hmm. how they made it, you know, what it is. So, um, you know, we talked about shelter and maybe, you know, it, I, I I might put like a John Coltrane or a Ma Vishnu Orchestra or some of that stuff in there too in like a um it just taught me something else about music having a higher purpose. Yeah. Um yeah. now granted I like metal. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm I'm kind of stuck, but um <laughs> that's not to say that I don't like really get my rocks off on like a like I said like a dead can dance or yeah. you know a Glenn Gould Bach piece. I mean yeah. that stuff is downright spiritual if you ask me. Sure. Um so yeah, I don't know. Now we're just I, I could keep <laughs> drifting in and out of this. I well, I love it and I appreciate all of it. And yeah, I mean I'm very eclectic too with music. Punk and hardcore is what I came up on, but I, I love all of it. You know, yeah. it's not to love. So it's yeah. music. But so Liam yeah, I, I mean, thank you so much sure. for yeah, being yeah. on the show. And I, I really will reconnect again somewhere yeah, down the road. Sure. I would love to have you back on and we could just riff the night away. Yeah. So um, I will have links up for listeners to Dillinger's website and uh, and all that good stuff so they can check you out there. And, uh, and yeah, man, thank you very cool. much. Yeah, thank you. Cool. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BeHereNow today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash BeHereNow.